I'm Amber Tresca, and this is About IBD. It's my mission to educate people living with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis about their disease and to bring awareness to the patient journey. Women with IBD have a lot of questions about how medications affect them during their childbearing years. It's important to have good information about how to manage medications during pregnancy and breastfeeding. I got in touch with Beth Kernan, a teratogen information specialist at Mother to Baby. Mother to Baby is a resource that provides evidence-based information to women and healthcare professionals about medications during pregnancy. Beth told me how Mother to Baby works with moms who are trying to understand their choices, why most of the information we have about IBD medications in pregnancy is reassuring, and how moms with IBD can help by taking part in pregnancy studies. Beth, thank you so much for talking with me today. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Let's jump right in. Would you do me a favor and introduce yourself and give me a little bit of background about the work that you do? Sure. So um, we have four kids. I have been with Mother to Baby for over 10 years. Uh, Mother to Baby is an umbrella organization, meaning we have affiliate offices across the U.S. and Canada. There's also an international body called Entis that does the same work. We all study exposures in pregnancy and breastfeeding and provide information to either the general public or to healthcare providers directly. Um, we here have been doing this work since about 1990, and um, all of us in Mother to Baby work in different settings. So I happen to be based at the University of California, San Diego, and I have a master's in public health and additional training to be what we call a teratogen information specialist, meaning we have information about teratogens, things that cause birth defects. And um, I take calls from pregnant women and from relatives and from healthcare providers about all different kinds of exposures. So that could mean prescription medications, over-the-counter meds, it could be cannabis, it could be vaccines, health conditions, occupational exposures like pesticides, or even environmental exposures like lead or Zika. You know, because I work in an office that conducts research on newer medications for autoimmune disease and for high cholesterol and asthma, the most frequent questions I get are about the newer biologics to treat those conditions. So specific to today, we get questions about a lot of different drugs, but specifically Humira, Simzia, Stellara, and Intivio. And we also answer questions about older drugs like methotrexate, sulfasalazine, and even corticosteroids like prednisone. Right. And the reason why I asked you to talk to me about this is because I really see so many questions from women who are pregnant or who want to become pregnant about continuing biologics during pregnancy. I think that there's a feeling that there's perhaps not so much data or that they're getting differing opinions between their gastroenterologist and then, for instance, their OB. Do you have any recommendations about how women can work with their doctors to understand their individual decision making around biologics during pregnancy? Yeah, I do. Um, so let me just be clear. At Mother to Baby, we don't make recommendations about taking a medication or discontinuing a medication. We leave those decisions between the woman and her doctors because your physicians know you and know your history and you know your own body. So the thing that I always recommend is that you assemble a team to support you during your pregnancy medically because having an autoimmune disease can mean that your pregnancy carries some additional risks. And so your OB and your GI should be in close contact to help you make those medication decisions. 
So there's a couple different ways to think about it. The first most important concept I think in this field is that women need to be healthy to support a healthy pregnancy. And so traditionally it's been believed that pregnant women should give babies their best start by avoiding all medications while pregnant. But women with autoimmune disease are often healthier if they stay on their medications rather than stop them. So that's the first part. Also, a woman's more likely to have a flare if she discontinues her meds. And flares increase the risk for pregnancy complications, such as delivering too soon or having smaller babies. So it's really important to balance the risks versus the benefits. And we say that all the time. But you have to determine if your medication carries greater risks than, say, preterm delivery, which can carry some pretty significant lifelong challenges, breathing problems, vision and hearing issues, developmental delay, heart conditions, things like that. So it's important to work with your doctors to consider if you should go off your medications and when, knowing that you may increase the risk of flare when and if you decide to do that. So Injectable biologics don't appear to cross the placenta in the first half of pregnancy and can help you sustain a pregnancy, get to a point of viability, um, especially if that drug is keeping you healthy. But if you decide to discontinue in the first trimester, you do risk pregnancy loss. And if you decide to discontinue in the second trimester, you could increase risks for preterm delivery, even as you're trying to limit the exposure to the baby. So we haven't yet figured out a really good way to put pregnant women in clinical trials. And so we don't have data from hundreds of thousands of pregnancies to rely on in giving our advice. And that's why really it is important to work with your doctors to make those choices. We also don't have very good long-term data on newer drugs. So I think my best advice is to consider these issues before becoming pregnant so that you have plenty of time to consider all your options, which could be staying on a medication, it could be going off of it, or it could be even switching to a new drug because we try to avoid that during pregnancy, but prior is a great time to switch, see if something works better for you. But we welcome calls at at Mother to Baby. And if, if any of your uh, listeners would like to call to discuss the medications in detail, we can provide that information. And then you take that information into a detailed discussion with your doctors and your partner. You can also consider seeing a maternal fetal medicine specialist. They are also called perinatologist or high-risk OB. You could also consider seeing a, a genetic counselor. And I never want people to forget Mental health care is really important too. So you cover all your bases by seeing all those specialists. And then once you have all the information, you're better prepared to make an informed choice. I feel like that's really good advice. And I've heard of women doing all of the different things that you have suggested, staying on, switching prior to even getting pregnant, or then staying on throughout. And it's a very individualized decision. One thing, and I know I was told when I was pregnant, you get this long list of things that you can't do or that you shouldn't <laughs> eat or you shouldn't take, et cetera, et cetera. And then someone tells you, oh, but really it's okay to stay on the medications that you're currently receiving. Is there anything that you've found that helps moms sort of be comfortable with continuing their medications and sort of dealing with that what seems like discongruity, even though it's really not. Yeah, I speak with women pretty often who feel guilty for taking their medications because they feel 
they're being selfish. And what I'll say that I don't say very often is that being a mom, I understand that. But I think it's also important to take a step back and think about how important it is for your pregnancy that you be healthy and that not everyone fits into a mold of, of um, you know, what the general public is going to do to be healthy. And so I would love it if women got past that guilt and instead viewed this as a decision I'm making that's one of the first choices I can make as a mother that's in the best interest of my baby and the development of my baby. I think it, you have to also consider that you know, there's a few facts like, like this. We, we tell all of our callers that in every pregnancy, there's a, about a 4% chance for having a baby with a major birth defect. And that's a pretty low number out of 100 live births. Just four of those babies are going to be diagnosed with something that's abnormal. We don't think that that risk rises for women with IBD. And then the other thing is that people may not realize, but nine in 10 women in the general population report taking some type of medication during pregnancy, and seven of 10 report taking at least one prescription drug. So the idea that women are going through pregnancy not having any exposures, I don't think that I've ever spoken with a woman who has zero exposures in pregnancy. Thank you so much for relating all of that. I, I think we don't know that when we get pregnant. These are things like that 4% number. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's something that people are generally told. Right. So that you can, when you start doing your own research, which is a lot of women with IBD do, I think people with IBD are like, you almost get a PhD in it when you live with it because you almost have to. And then women are going to their medical team and what if you're sort of not on the same page about that decision? Yeah, that can be really challenging. And I've spoken with women who then feel even more caught between a rock and a hard place. So yeah, physicians make recommendations based on their own experience and their understanding of the research literature. So I do believe that they are making the best recommendations that they are able to make. But not all physicians have experience with pregnant moms and IBD or, or a chronic condition like IBD. And so that's when it's really important for the physicians to work with the other specialists that you're seeing. And that's why I recommend seeing the maternal fetal medicine specialist or having your physicians get together. We at Mother to Baby are not physicians. And that's one of the reasons that we don't make recommendations and give out medical advice. But what women can do is they can come to us, they can look up fact sheets on our website, they can gather all their facts, and then it makes them more of an equal partner when they have those discussions. And they can bring up points and counterpoints. They can copy articles that where we've shared the resource or the reference, and they can then use that information in, in the conversation that they have. What we do here is, as a partner in helping their decision-making, we can look up a medication in various databases. We can read the journal articles that contribute to their doctor's recommendations. We can address potential misunderstandings on either side, the caller or her, her physicians. And then we can even give them some questions to suggest they ask their doctors. And in that way, hopefully, they can narrow down um, the, the information to something that is well-referenced and well-supported, and then use that to show why 
they would make a, a decision that might be different than what their doctors are recommending. I mean, all of this sometimes it, it, it's it's not going to bring agreement into the exam room. And so sometimes you will need to change doctors and that's ideally best before you get pregnant. But, you know, we, we also take calls from, from healthcare providers. And so we are uh, happy to speak with your physicians. And if you want to share that we exist and, and that we can be a reference for them as well, then we would welcome that. We exhibit at medical conferences and we try to get the word out about mother to baby. We're trying to be a resource for information for patients and healthcare providers. I love that idea. I actually never thought of that. I am constantly referring women to mother to baby when they have questions about their medications, IBD medications or mm-hmm. otherwise. And I think also I'm going to start telling women that they should also tell their physicians, hey, you know, maybe you can give them a call as well and open those lines of communications because, you know, there are no hard and fast rules. I, you know, you know, the physicians are sometimes they're not IBD specialists, so necessarily. So they may be figuring it out, you know, as well. So um, I love that this resource is available. And then so, all right, you've done your you've done your work. You have been able to get pregnant, you have your baby, you've made all your decisions regarding your medication and that. And then I know that like I spent a lot of time trying to learn about breastfeeding, but it's still one of those things that um, kind of takes you off guard anyway. I feel like no matter how well prepared you think you are, I think a lot of people spend so much time on pregnancy and then labor and delivery. And then it's like, oh, breastfeeding. And so then you've got more questions about medications and breastfeeding. So is there anything that we can sort of tell women generally, women with IBD about medications and breastfeeding? And I believe that mother to baby also has those resources available. We do. We speak with women about exposures and breastfeeding all the time. And you're right. You get to the end of your pregnancy. Hopefully you've delivered a term baby a healthy baby, hopefully you're feeling good, your uh, symptoms have remained pretty much in remission during the pregnancy, that's certainly the best start for the baby. Your best source for information about lactation is often found at the hospital where you deliver it. The lactation consultants are the best source for information about diet and nutrition and the mechanics of breastfeeding, but we can be a helpful resource for women who are breastfeeding or who are pregnant and looking ahead to breastfeeding, and we can help talk about their medications and how those might interact or or, uh, be a concern in lactation. So there's a few things that that are important to consider when we talk about breastfeeding. First, we want to know how old is the baby? Is the baby healthy? And, and how much medication actually gets into the milk? Will it be a problem for the baby? Will, will it cause uh, respiratory problems? Will it cause too much sleepiness? But we also want to consider the benefits of breastfeeding. There are tremendous benefits, not only for the baby, but for the mother. And we're finding out more and more about that, even long-term benefits for a woman who breastfeeds. So in pregnancy, there's very limited data about medications because, again, we don't put pregnant women in clinical trials. We also have limited data about medications while nursing. Having said that, it's almost never the case that a woman should pump and dump. So if a doctor or nurse advises that, it's usually based on old data. 
and we can provide the most accurate information looking up that medication in the various databases that we have accessible to us. So it might surprise you to know that a woman can nurse right after general anesthesia, for example, with a colonoscopy. Um, or with a diagnostic procedure like an MRI with contrast. And she can usually nurse with pain medications, with injectable biologics, and with prednisone. I don't want to overgeneralize, but I hope that your callers will uh, give us a call or there's also uh, chatting options and texting options. They can learn the specifics about their particular medications. Breastfeeding provides so many benefits for mom and baby, and we really feel that we can be reassuring more often than not. We can also address questions about how a drug might affect milk supply and potential adverse infant reactions to look for. So if there's anything else that we uh, need to address but we don't have the expertise, we'll certainly refer a mom to her, to her pediatrician. Thank you. I'm glad you brought up colonoscopy. That does come up a lot. And with the pump and dump, I think sometimes women are advised to do a pump and dump after a colonoscopy. So that's good to know that there's a resource that they can call you all or text. I love that option as well, mm -hmm. um, especially if you have like a newborn. <laughs> You're like, shh, everybody be quiet. You know, I just got them back to sleep. So um, yeah, that's, that's really, that's perfect. And so you touched on research a couple of different times and... I think it's important to understand about how research is done on pregnant women because, as you said, it can be challenging because it's not like you want to give pregnant women a thing and then see how it goes. It's not, you know, it's a little risky. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, but that doesn't mean that no research is being done. So how can moms with IBD get involved with the research that is going on and that mother to baby and other groups are doing? Mother to baby is, uh, um, our pregnancy studies are something where women can self-enroll. So they can call our toll-free number that I know you're putting the show notes, and they can then get in touch with the staff here at pregnancy studies. The screening team will take five or 10 minutes to go through a number of questions to see if you qualify. We always have three study groups in our research. One is for women who are taking a particular drug. So right now we're studying Stellara, Simsia, Entivio, Zeljans, and Trimphia for ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. New studies come up all the time. So that's our one group is the women who are exposed to a particular drug we're looking at. We also have a group for women who are pregnant who have ulcerative colitis or Crohn's who are not taking those medications. And then we have a third group of women who are unexposed and pregnant. So having those three groups can help us determine if a drug might be causing an effect, or if the health condition might be the real issue. And so what happens is a woman will call, she'll be screened, and then if she wants to enroll, it's all voluntary, she'll be referred to the interviewers, and we will read a consent form over the phone so she understands the study in its entirety. Then we will take down some demographics and health history, and then ask about all of her exposures during the pregnancy. We usually call once per trimester to update that exposure list. We'll also ask about symptoms of the IBD at those three points. And then afterwards, we'll call you about the delivery and ask about the health of your new baby. Some of the studies involve annual calls up to the age of five, and we are looking at development after those medication exposures. Um, some of those um, uh, follow-up calls are assessing breastfeeding and um, weight gain of the baby and any other 
complications or health issues that have developed over time. Some of our studies, too, involve uh, having a study physician travel to uh, mom's home and do a quick physical exam of the baby to look for a pattern of minor birth defects. And um, then we ask for release of medical records, and that helps us objectively verify what we have learned in the interviews with mom. And then we also have a project here called Mommy's Milk. So if you're nursing and taking one of the medications I just mentioned, then we would be interested in obtaining a sample of breast milk to measure drug levels in the milk. So that's an exciting newer project we have here. The Breast Milk Biorepository takes in those samples of fresh milk and then stores them so researchers can come forward in the future to ask any number of different questions. But the drug level research is, is something that I think will be especially relevant and important in the near future. I agree. And thank you so much for going through all the steps in that process. Mm -hmm. I was involved with a couple of different registries when I was pregnant uh, with my, uh, both of my pregnancies with my two kids. And it really was just, you know, somebody calls you and asks you a couple of questions and it was very easy. And yet it has a huge impact on the way that we understand medications and how IBD affects pregnancy and so many things. So I'm always a big proponent of recommending that people get involved if they can. And it's really not, it's not something that takes up a lot of your time or anything like that. So right. yeah, thanks for explaining that. So is there anything that you would like to add about mother to baby or the work that you do or anything you just want to tell our IBD moms? <laughs> well, we really appreciate the women who come forward and who want to participate in the research. We really would not know what we know about medications up to now without a woman's participation during her pregnancy. And so there is kind of a special bond that develops between us, the uh, interviewer on the phone and the woman in her home. And, uh, you know, it's okay if your kids are screaming in the background and we can call you when it's convenient for you or during nap time. We're open Monday through Friday. But your research participation really helps us. And the publications that come from this work will help pregnant and breastfeeding women make decisions in the future based on sufficient good quality data. So, you know, whether or not you qualify, though, you're able to give us a call and ask about any exposure during pregnancy or breastfeeding. I love that. And let's try to go over some of the social media information and then the websites for mother to baby so that women can get in contact and then um, phone numbers, which I'll put everything in the show notes. But if you know anything off the top of your head, we can go through that too. <laughs> sure. So we are available at www.mothertobaby.org and our phone number is a toll-free number, 877-311-8972. We can also be found on Instagram and Pinterest even. <laughs> and uh, so, so we welcome you to check all of that out. We post quite a bit on Twitter as well. So study announcements and also uh, other information on medications and exposures in pregnancy when that's in the news. I also should say that we only do observational research. So we are different than those clinical trials. What we do is um, enroll women who have had at least one exposure within a certain period of time of getting pregnant, uh, one exposure to a study drug, or women, like I said earlier, who have IBD and um, may not have a study drug exposure. But we don't ask women to continue taking a medication or go off of a medication. And I think that that's important. It's a good distinction from clinical trials. 
Yeah, I think it's important to understand that difference because I think when we think of research, we think of starting or stopping something. And that's not always the case. This is just, it's observational. We just want to know what happens when you continue doing what you're doing. That's the right choice for you already. That's right. That's perfect. Thank you so much, Beth. I know this is going to be so helpful to all of our IBD moms out there as they navigate this with IBD and pregnancy and then breastfeeding. And I think there's mostly reassuring news, you know, for them about medications and pregnancy. And so I'm glad to get that word out there. Yeah, I really agree with you. I think it's mostly reassuring news at this point. We do need many, many more thousands of of pregnancies to be able to say that with a lot of confidence. But I think at this point we can be pretty reassuring and it seems that gastroenterologists feel the same way. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, super listener. Special thanks to Beth Kernan for taking time out of her busy schedule to talk to me about all the great work she does to help moms with IBD. If you have any questions about medications during pregnancy, see the show notes for all the information to get in touch with mother to baby. You can reach them by phone, by email, by text, and if you go on their website, by chat. Don't forget, mother to baby has the latest research data about IBD medications and is also available to your healthcare team to answer their questions about medication during pregnancy and breastfeeding. Here are some key points to remember about our discussion. For women with IBD, preparing for pregnancy is key to having a healthy pregnancy and baby. Talk to your healthcare team to make decisions about medications before getting pregnant. It's important to weigh the benefits and the risks of any medication, while keeping in mind that women who stop their IBD medications before or during pregnancy may have a risk of a flare-up during the pregnancy. Thinking about breastfeeding is also part of the conversation And the lactation consultants at the hospital and the pediatrician can help with questions about medication. For the most part, the data we have on IBD medications during pregnancy and nursing is reassuring. Moms can get in touch with mother to baby to speak to a specialist who can help them while doing their research. I love bringing you this content and you can support me in return by sharing it with others and by leaving a review of my show in your favorite podcast app. Here's a taste of what's coming up on the next About IBD. Bring it up to your doctor. Your doctor can help you in many ways, and if they can't, figure out who can. (laughs) You're not in this disease alone. We we are, you know, we're a partner in that. There's so many things we can do besides prescribing a medication. Uh, We can help you at many, many levels. You just need to bring it up to our attention. Thanks for listening, and remember, until next time, I want you to know more about IBD. (laughs) 